When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mr. Bob Ryan. <laughs> Bob, how are you doing, sir? Hey, it's nice to see you again, Coop. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. You're healthy and, you know, everything's okay. Listen, we know you're busy, so we, let's get no. to it, right to the heart of it. Just uh, If I'm I'm fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, Bob, tell us what it was growing up in Trenton, New Jersey, what it was like in your family. I didn't know how good it was until later on in terms of the fact that the two things that I care most about – outside of, you know, real life and family, sports and music. And it turns out that Trenton uh, was 45 minutes north of Philadelphia and 60 miles southwest of New York. And the, the so you had access to both. And I did take, my father was involved in sports. So I grew up going to ball games and polo grounds and Connie Mack Stadium and the Palestra from I was time I was six years old. And, and then um, did the coverage of, on television who knew it was the television capital of america in the 50s no one knew it because we got every channel in philly and every channel in new york now most people in most areas of america in the 50s got three channels the network channels in their area right they got one for cbs one for nbc and one for abc and that's it well we had everything on the dial but channel eight everything else and so I got to see baseball games. The Jackies and Giants played on Channel 11. The Dodgers played on Channel 9. The Phillies played on Channel 6. So I got access to that. So, it, and, you know, and it's a sports-minded town. High school sports were big. American Legion baseball was very big. We won the uh, Babe Ruth League World Series twice in 1956 and 1962. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Okay, A. And then B, when rock and roll hit circa 1955, you know, with Bill Haley in the comments and then Elvis and all that, we got the New York channels stations and the Philly stations. So you had, you had the double dose of that. And for the final thing, we were an hour from the Jersey shore. So it really was an excellent place to grow up. And, and I did, you know, you don't know these things when you're a kid, you take everything for granted. It was only later on when I realized, boy, I was lucky. Hey, Bob, uh, did you ever play any sports? Did you play any sports? I was, uh, yeah, I was a normal childhood, uh, little league baseball. I was an all-star. I'm a first baseman. Uh, first base? First base. That's a position for somebody who's slow with a bad arm. So you put him at first. I had a good hand. Uh, uh, this is underhand pitching or overhand oh, pitching? No, this is the Little League. This is the baseball. <laughs> and I love basketball and baseball. I played basketball uh, right up through prep school. I, that's the one sport I was able to play on a, on a scholastic level. On you know, prep school, New Jersey level, uh, I played basketball. And I played basketball into my 40s uh, and uh, pickup. I love playing basketball. I was born to play three on three and uh, winners out, which means you don't have to play any defense. <laughs> Bob, 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 listen, on this show, we, we have fun on this show. I'm sorry, Nick. <laughs> I had a hook and a jump hook. He had a sky hook. I I I stuck, oh, okay, I thought you were stuck because as we get older, our muscles don't move the right way. I had a hook and, and also <laughs> my idol in uh, high school years, teenage years, was Nick Workman of Seton Hall. And Nick Workman was the master of shooting with his back to the basket. He was, he had all the back, he was a 6'3 postman. And, and he had all this dipsy doodle stuff about, and I worked the hours. With, and when I played pickup ball, believe me, and my big thing was posting up, 
I think it's the most fun you can have, which is why I'm so sad about the fact that the NBA has gone over to three-point madness and nobody posts up anymore. I'm with you. See another Kevin McHale. But anyway, so that was my level. I couldn't go any farther than that. I tried out, but when I went to Boston College in 1964, I did try out for the freshman team. Well, it just so happened that that year, they had six scholarship players and two other guys who turned down D1, well, it wasn't D1 then, it was called University Division, scholarships because they wanted to play for Bob Cousy. So we had eight level scholarships. So 75 of us tried out for the remaining four spots. And I, I made the first cut. That was my claim to fame. I didn't get cut first. I made the first cut, but I never made it. So that was the end of wearing, you know, wearing a uniform. Uh, and But I played pickup ball. Also, I refereed. I love refereeing. One year at BC, I refereed both the championship game of the day league and the night league. <laughs> well, Bob, you know what? It's better than me because I got cut on my high school team in ninth grade. <laughs> so listen, Bobby, jumping ahead real quick because I got one more question about high school. Were you a bully or did you get bullied? No, I would be uh, the, the, the latter. I was far from a bully. I was a lover, not a fighter. No, no way. I was... I was no, no, I'm, I'm never a tough guy. I never masqueraded as one either, believe me. So, like you said, Bob, you graduated in 68 with, in, in history. Where did journalism come in to this? I, I, uh, it all began, I, I always had an affinity for writing and, and I was good with words. And, and when I went to the prep school I went to, it was an opportunity to write uh, extensively. I wrote for the school paper. I became the sports editor of the school paper. And, and all the courses uh, had to, that weren't mathematical science emphasize writing, history, English, even foreign language. When you learn French, uh, which I loved, you, uh, uh, you know, you wound up reading books and writing your, your tests. So anyway, I had an affinity for writing. And then I, I went to school at Boston College and worked for the school paper. I also did basketball broadcast play by play for four years. I, and I was fun. I love that. And I was offered, long story short, I was offered an opportunity for an internship interview at the Boston Globe in, in the summer of, after I graduated. I got accepted, started there June 10th, 1968. And except for one little detour uh, into television for about 17 months, uh, I worked at the Globe until I retired in 2012. You're listening to Showtime with Coop. We got Bob Ryan in the house, man. And Bob, you know what? You, um, uh, and I hate to say this because you are a Celtic lover. Uh, mm -hmm. You're probably one of the most best journalists that I enjoyed speaking with. Uh, we're at this stage of the show where I have a segment I call Coop's Lightning Round. I'm going to ask you five questions, five names, and you tell us as much or as little about the names, okay? Fair. First one, Tommy Heinsohn. Tommy Heinsohn was a very complicated and, and interesting man. Uh, obviously a Hall of Fame player and an athlete. When he retired at age 30 due to bad knees. I mean, today, you know, he would have been scoped. You know, he's he one of countless people who, who were too early, born too soon in terms of medical advancement. Right. He's, a, he's an all-time Hall of Fame player. A great, um, I can still see him with that hook shot from the corner and a line drive jump shot. He was famous for a coup because in high school, that the gym had a low ceiling and, and he had to shoot line. That's that's the folklore anyway. That's the story he came up with. And we all you know bought it for a year. He had line drive jump shot and great offensive rebounder and a clutch player. And then as a after he retired, he became an insurance salesman right away. And he was an award-winning insurance salesman. Like, seriously, he was like insurance salesman of the year, you know, kind of thing. And he also did some whatever was available, not that much in the very, very beginning of his retirement, color on for Celtic games. And then eventually in 1969, after Russ retired, and uh, Red named him coach. He had, and Cooper, he had never even coached a, a youth league. He never coached anything for a day in his life. It was all on the job training. 
and 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 he you know took to it right away. And of course, he had Red behind him. He had Red to lean on to help with some technical support, you know. But Tommy had to on, learn how to coach on the job. And we we had a up and down relationship. It was up to start. Um, it's a long story, but it all ended great. No, well, I have one question. All said and done, we were wow. friends the last forty-two years of his life. I can tell you that. I can't believe I'm saying this because, I, you know what, I love Tommy Heinsohn. He actually made Michael Cooper a household name when he was <laughs> doing the games on CBS by saying I was a good player. Go ahead, Nick. Michael Cooper. <laughs> the whole generation, and, and you know, it's a fascinating career. Obviously, he's, he's in the Hall of Fame as a player, a coach, one of the hair in the Philip guys that, 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 for whom that's true. And he... Um, he had a successful career as a broadcaster where he's a, a icon and in, in Celtic fans. And, and uh, you know, he's very much missed around here, but uh, uh, you know, he, he, if anybody's Mr. Celtic, it would be Tommy Heinsohn who, who yeah. obviously played and coached and broadcast starting in 1956 until he died in 2020. Bye-bye. Football is back and bet online is your number one source for all your football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football odds, news, and game matchups, including this year's opening week games. Bet Online is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to BetOnline AG to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Top 75, Heinsohn, did you have him in yours when you voted? You know, I honestly don't remember. No, seriously. I know he's not there. I don't know if well, I, 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 I want to guess I didn't, but, uh, you know, that's a hard call. It's a hard, hard call. Uh, yeah. I voted. I was privileged to vote for the fifty and the seventy-five, and and um, you know it, it, it it's an honor, but boy, it's a responsibility, you know. And it's, uh, it, uh, it's it, Coop. It, I wonder if you if he voted for Bob McAdoo in the top fifty. <laughs> you know, I would Did tell you something. No, oh, I'll give you the honest truth. Uh, I I effed up. I honest. I thought I wanted my list we we a oh, hundred times, and after it was over, and I submitted my ballot, and I, I went, oh my god. I left him off. It was not intentional. It was, it, I'm embarrassed. It's my biggest, I mean, three-time MVP. I mean, I, if anybody, if any city outside of Buffalo appreciated McAdoo, it was Boston because of the great rivalry we had with them in those days mm -hmm. and his, and his head to head with Cowens. And, 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 you know, we know, I know how I'm embarrassed. So you expose me here, Nick. I, I'm going to probably, <laughs> but I forgot to vote for Bob McAdoo, but you know, I know McAdoo I felt, but, <laughs> What's good, he made it. And I, yeah. I don't say if he had not made it, I would have felt 10 times worse. He yeah. made it. So despite my screwing up, he made it and he deserved to be on there. Well, I'm going to uh, call you out again, Bob, now that I know that you're doing all this voting and stuff. I need to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to prompt myself. So I need your vote and get a word out there, okay? Second name, Bob, for you, Rick Mahorn. <laughs> oh. Rick Mahorn is a funny story attached to Rick Mahorn, uh, the pride of Hampton Institute, and 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 uh, one of the Johnny most uh, the announcers, Mr. McFilthy and McNasty, when he played with with Jeff uh, in in uh, in Buffalo, Baltimore. Um, Rick Mahorn, he uh, was a tough guy <laughs> to say the least, right? So he he uh, he got th thrown out of a game 
in uh, against the Celtics early in the game. And uh, I asked um, Dow Garrison if the referees have certain extra scrutiny on certain extra certain people, you know, if they're, yeah. And he admitted it. Yeah. And I think I even, you know, kind of to kind of admit that Mahorn was one of those people, you know, that he's a, he's a, he was a recidivist, you know, he was, all right. So I write this and to some degree, I put it in my Sunday column that, uh, that Mahorn, you know, is one of those guys who gets extra scrutiny. The next time the Washington bullets came to Boston in the first quarter, Mahorn committed a foul. And I used to sit, no, excuse me. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At home, I sat next to the visiting bench so I could hear and see what was going on there because on the road, they would always put us next to our own bench, you know? So I wanted to sit next to the visiting bench, which I did. So they called a foul. I forget who it was. doesn't matter. On Rick. Gene Shu jumps up, turns around, points a finger in my face, said, that's your fault, Bob Ryan, your fault. <laughs> Well, I was kind of proud of that, actually. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, hey, man, fuck Rick Mahorn. Anyway, uh, Red Arback. That's the next one. Red Arback. There's so many things to talk about, Red. Um, Red Red was, a, you know, I won't throw the word genius around, but I, whoever said, and it was of Red Arback, as somebody said, he's he, the, the rest of them are playing checkers, he's playing chess. And he's one of the people about whom they said. Um, obviously, an NBA pioneer, was there from day one in 1946. Uh, it was the right coach for the right guy. Not everybody would have appealed to Bill Russell, frankly. I think they would have mishandled Bill Russell and not understood what his game was all about, not appreciated the person he was, might have tried to, uh, but Red did instinctively, uh, and, and, they, and Red and Russell appreciated it. Um, he, the interesting thing about Coop, uh, he's a guy, he did not treat, uh, he, this was not Vince Lombardi. He did not treat them all the same. He had different rules and, and a way of approach different people. Um, he, he approached Kuzi one way, he coached Charmin another way, because Heinsohn was the designated yeller. He yelled at Heinsohn when he wanted to get, when he wanted Russell to do something, he yelled at Heinsohn. Tommy, <laughs> see, he knew Tommy would understand, you know, that, yeah. that that was his role. Tommy, Tommy, we used to joke about this all the time. Um, now, um, I just give you a funny, he had a sense of humor, right? People that, you know, the, yeah. And one day he says to me, who's the greatest six man of all time? I said, well, Havlicek. No. Well, Ramsey? No. I said, Red, I have no idea. Who are you talking about? He said, Chinky Shapiro. <laughs> I said, who's Chinky Shapiro? He said, he was the, he was the, the, ti the, score, the timer in Rochester. <laughs> <laughs> now, Coop, were you around when Foots, Feets, uh, Brody was in New York, was the gardener. You remember no. that name at all? No. Well, he was the timer in New York for many years. Feats, Nat Feats Brody, B-R-U-D-Y. And he was notorious. He had the fastest hand or the slowest hand, whatever the Knicks needed. You know, <laughs> let me tell you, he was famous for that. But, but apparently he must have learned from Chinky because Red, Red said it was Chinky was the best scorekeeper. The timer. <laughs> hey, Bob, I'm old. I'm not that old, but I, I, I hear you, baby. I hear you. And my comment about Rick Mahorn, listen, Rick and I coaching the big three, so he knows how I feel about him. So I can say that out loud because I'll say it to his face, but Rick Mahorn is a lovely guy. Oh, I, 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 I've, I've met him and I, I, I've met him at functions. I, I know. I, I, here's the other thing. He was, and here's another thing I think of, I think of Rick Mahorn. And, and uh, right after, there was an expansion right after the Pistons won the first time and he was put up for expansion like yeah. within two weeks of, which is so cruel. You know, that was so, I can't imagine how he felt about that, you know, at the time. But, but he hated uh, it in Philadelphia, didn't he? He hated it in Philly, I think. 
Yeah. He hated going to Philadelphia. And well, I think they were like on the parade when he got drafted in the expansion draft. They were yeah, it was a good parade. It was clearly, it was timing was awful. It was awful. Mm-hmm. But hey, he, he was a tough guy, I'll tell you. No question. Hey, Bob, our fourth name, Magic Johnson. Well, Irvin, I, I have just absolute utmost respect for her as a player. And, 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 and I'm so proud to know him and he did the forward on the book I did with Larry Bird and he was so you know happy and eager to do it and and um, and I'm really grateful for that uh, I have nothing but the highest uh, regard for and, and his game and the way he got better and better the fact that that he made himself into a reliable outside shooter three-point shooter um, I was present at the uh, at the famous bird magic NCAA final and, and what I remember about, uh, in addition to that, not the game, I remember them into the semifinal game more in terms of the logistics of it. And that was that um, I think he went into that tournament wanting to show the pros, the scouts, they could shoot. And, and he, he, he took uh, a, a lot of outside shots in the semis against uh, uh, Penn. And I think he wanted to show them that, that he could shoot, and he did. He made those shots. But, I mean, what, what can you say? I can still see him going coast to coast. When I think of certain people going coast to coast, I think of him, I think of – Charles, naturally, Barkley, uh, and but uh, Magic. I mean, Magic at his peak, doing that ball was, and doing, and of course, let's get to it. The greatest individual game I have ever seen a player play, and, and count me among those who believe that that game six in Philadelphia, 1970, the 20-year-old Magic Johnson, 42 points, 15 rebounds, seven assists, literally playing at one time or another. You know, all five, you know, spots. And te- technically, and and it was talk about clutch. I can tell you this: after um, we, uh, Kareem got hurt in, in Game Five, and and we knew he wasn't going to make the trip to Philly, and so Game Seven is going to be back in LA. No one, we we totally assumed we were going back to LA. The only thing we were talking about in the media was where we're going to go for dinner when we get back to LA after Game Six, and Magic comes up and plays that game. Plus, I'm going to throw this one out. However, the greatest tidbit of that game is. The sneakiest, quietest 37 points anyone ever scored by Jamal Wilkes. Everybody forgets that, Bob. Everybody. 37 points. Yeah. Just very quietly, very, very unobtrusively. Uh, Bob, the last name on this list, you obviously know who I'm going to ask you about, but I always, the reason why I put these two together, because I say this in the 70s, and you can talk a little bit more about it later on, but in the 70s, basketball was just kind of like whole hum and all drum. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson changed this game and they made it exciting they made their players be accountable for their actions on the court tell us about larry bird well and passing you know the past the fact that the 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 thing that they both did best they did other things but the thing they both did best was pass that certainly starts with with, you know in larry's case as well he lived passing um yeah they came along and and the league was so lucky not only did they come along the same year but they came along in the franchises where they were, which which were they you know, had a little history back, you know, from the '60s naturally, and and you were able to. They both went to the right place, you know, in a sense, and 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 that 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 was made it exponentially better. And they and they respected each other so much uh, on the court. Didn't really get to know each other well until midway through the careers. So, but they they and then of course they became very friendly and still are to this day. But um, oh, Larry, look, so many things I could say about Larry. Uh, on the court. I want to throw this one out at you, Coop, and you know, you uh, and, and we'll get to you and Larry. I'll get to you and Larry. And uh, <laughs> um, My belief is that nobody in the history of the game ever accomplished more with the ball in his hands less than Larry Bird. 
I mean, the difference, when I look at LeBron today, now the two greatest passing forwards of all time are Larry and LeBron. I mean, there's Rick Barry will be yelling, and what about me? All right, fine. <laughs> but, but those are my answers, okay? But LeBron, first of all, he's not a, you know, he's, he's a screen on the chessboard. But as a boy, he, he has the ball all the time. And and he should. We don't argue with that. They don't need a point guard. They got LeBron. But he, but Larry was never. Larry was. You know. Hey, who knows better than you? Larry was thinking two steps ahead. You know about was going to do the ball before he got it. He could see where who was where. Where were he had that picture in his head of where everybody was. And and he he had that he had limited touches to get the assist that he got, as opposed to any other passing forward you want to name. And. That's the most amazing thing to me is, is what he accomplished with the bonus hands as infrequently as it really was. Now, have, as the man who guarded him better than anybody else, which Larry Bird will be the first person to, to tell the world, uh, what's your feeling about that? Did you feel that he always had the ball or did you? Because one reason he didn't when they played the Lakers is that you were keeping him from getting the ball. Well, <laughs> that, was, about, that was your people, job. People always ask me, who's the hardest player I've ever had to guard? And there was Michael Jordan, George Gervin, the late, great Mike Mitchell. I mean, so many players. I always say Larry Bird. And I say this for the reason, because with Larry, okay, say if you're guarding Michael, when Michael passed the basketball, he kind of hung on his shorts and he sit off to the side. With Larry, when he passed the basketball is when he became more dangerous. He was either setting a pick, coming off a pick, catching the ball, passing the ball. So he was the one you always had to stay attentive to the mm -hmm. whole 24 seconds of that offensive play for the Celtics. And you know what? Oh, he's going to get an offensive rebound. He was going to do something to help his team uh, have the best chance of scoring at that point. So I always say it's him. So I, I'm with you, Bob. He didn't need the basketball to affect the game. Obviously, he was great with the basketball, but he did so many other setting good picks. For people, and there's who else can you say that about to that degree? Nobody. I remember in the prime, in when Michael was on his ascendancy, and Mike and Larry and Magic ruled, and here comes Michael, and then Michael eventually became the guy. We all know that, you know. Um, uh, I said this is one thing. I just want to tell you, folks. I said there's one thing that Mike. I saw Larry Bird. Now this is the gospel truth, verifiable. One night in Phoenix, they were losing big time at the half, and and they come out in the third quarter, and Larry did not take a shot but dominated the game. He had seven assists in the third quarter and they came back and won the game. And that's example of the thing. He could affect the game uh, without, you know, and without taking a shot more than well, my, Michael could never do that. Never. Michael had yeah. to have the ball. I yeah. mean, to do it, had to have it and had to, and, and I'm not going to, I I won't, I'll leave magic on. I'll let you address this aspect of it for magic, but, but for Larry, uh, it was amazing. And uh, he, he, uh, no one, no one to the degree that Larry Bird did it affected the game more without even having the ball with his hands or, or, or taking a sh or at least not, not taking a shot. You know, Bob, uh, I was friends with Dennis Johnson. You know, we grew up here in California and all that. And uh, Dennis, used, he told me this one story. <laughs> we were playing, I guess it was in 84, 85, one of the series, but Casey Jones was drawing up a play. And uh, Larry was kind of like watching, watching. And then finally, Larry said, hey, coach, give me the fucking ball until everybody get out the way. <laughs> I love that story because that's dominance there. That's some, some shit yeah. only great ones say and do. Yeah, he, went, and he would feel comfortable doing that. And, 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 and you know, you wouldn't take, you wouldn't take offense. Yeah, yeah, with your, yeah.